This is a special presentation of the Gaming News Canada Show with Steve McAllister. Hello and welcome to the What's Next for iGaming Regulation in Canada presented by GBG PLC. I'm Steve McAllister, the Editor-in-Chief of Gaming News Canada and your moderator for this webinar. I'm extremely excited to hear from our panelists today who bring different experiences and paths to the world of sports betting and gaming, not to mention a wealth of knowledge. Let's welcome the panel, beginning with GBG's Director of Gaming, Rebecca Jackson. Joining Rebecca today are Amanda Brewer, the Canadian Country Manager for Kindred Group, Scott Vanderwell, the Chief Executive Officer for Points Bet Canada, and last but most certainly not least, Jack Tadman, the Principal of GME Law. I want to begin today's webinar with Amanda, who's the veteran of this panel when it comes to how we got to where we are today with legal sports betting and iGaming in Canada and to today's hugely competitive gambling marketplace in Ontario with 45 licensed operators today and, and still a few more to come. Uh, Amanda, can you please lead us off by just providing a synopsis of that journey? Sure, Steve. Uh, I'll go through it really quickly because it spans about 10, 15 years. So Canada, as we all know, has not had any gambling regulation for online gaming until Ontario launched last April. So what the federal government did a long time ago was download all the powers to the provinces to decide how to conduct and manage gaming however they wanted within the borders of their jurisdictions. And Canada kind of operated that way for a very long time. Single event sports betting was illegal because the criminal code hadn't been changed. And Canada was viewed as a gray market for online gaming because Canadian law doesn't apply extraterritorially and these operators were accessing Canada through servers located outside of Canada. So gray market online gaming has been abundantly available throughout Canada for a very long time now. So fast forward to, uh, you know, over the years, there have been a handful of people who've been, you know, traveling across Canada. Um, Paul Burns, myself, Troy Ross, knocking on doors, having conversations with various provincial governments and lottery corporations, just trying to test the waters and see if any of them would be interested in launching uh, a regulated model in their province. And at those days, we were bringing examples from Denmark, which at that point in time had been the most recent jurisdiction to launch a model. Now you fast forward to a change in government in Ontario when uh, Kathleen Wynne's Liberal Party was, was uh, removed from power and we got the Ford government in, and finally we had a government that decided they were going to do something about all the money that was leaving Ontario to the offshore operators, because of course they weren't paying any tax here, and they decided to be the first province to offer a regulated iGaming model. These models do not develop overnight. It took a couple of years. It didn't help that COVID landed in the middle of all of that, but the glaring piece that would have really made this kind of the cherry on top was uh, getting the Senate uh, to amend our criminal code. So that was happening also during COVID. Uh, I was still working with Paul Burns at the Canadian Gaming Association. And that was a concerted effort from a lot of stakeholders to finally get the government to admit that that law was very outdated. And especially, you know, with the pressure coming of Ontario about to launch its iGaming market, we really needed to make single event sports betting legal across Canada. So you fast forward to April of last year, 
Ontario finally launches its iGaming market. And when we talk about iGaming in Ontario, sports betting is not separate. Sports betting is included in that. The standards, there's only one set of standards. Sports betting standards are embedded in the overall iGaming standards. And Ontario is off to the races. Now, for every other province, they too are allowed to offer single event sports wagering. It's up to them to decide how, if, when they would like to offer it within their boundaries. Um, but Ontario, to this date, is still the only province that has a fully regulated iGaming market that is that is open and, and up for business. So that is my very quick gallop through the last sort of 10, 15 years of uh, gaming legislation in Canada. That's uh, that's a pretty nice way to sashay through through what's happened over 50 years, Amanda. So so thanks for that. Um, this webinar is a, a home game of sorts for for Scotty, uh, Amanda, Jack, and myself. So we're, Rebecca, I'm going to let the the visitor in the in the room kind of lead us off on the next question, and that's kind of been just uh, what's what's the road to regulation Ontario been for GBG and and the role that your company plays uh, play in this plays in this marketplace. It's been a really exciting time for us um, at GBG. When when we first heard about the regulation and being totally transparent with you, we started to hear about it from our clients, uh, the operators saying, are you aware, have you seen this? And um, very early they started to share AGCO and, and AGO documentation with us to say, have you seen these FinTrack compliance regulations um, for onboarding customers? So um, when that started, I sort of went with a beating drum uh, to the direct, other directors at GBG and said, wow, this is going to be uh, an incredible market um, and something that I think that we should be part of with our customers. So we, we went away and looked into the, the sort of nitty gritty details of um, onboarding. I, I read the documentation myself and fed back into GBG what was needed from a compliance standard. So um, how players can be onboarded in the market, uh, what needs to be achieved uh, to safely onboard them, and what would happen when a player can't be onboarded via certain methods. So our journey was quite an exciting one because we, we've, all, we've worked with Canadian operators for many years, such as um, the likes of Atlantic Lottery that, um, this, uh, in Canada. Um, however, we wanted to, we needed to rather, uh, change the data set offering that we provide um, to sort of spin it to be fit for market for Ontario. So um, that gave us a bit of time to, uh, as this came out before anybody got a license and, and the market went live, to build the product our side uh, and make sure that we were the sort of leading provider going into that market, uh, ready to uh, support all of our clients. Um, so it was an exciting journey because it's, it, it was a case of not just entering the market, but we got to build something and look at the impressive, I would say impressive, uh, documentation that was given. Because to me, it's quite clear cut what operators need to do. Um, I don't know if Amanda or, or Scotty would say different, but from reading it from a compliance perspective, we could see quite easily what, what was needed. So it's been an exciting journey. Scott, Rebecca talks about building from the ground up, and that's something that you're very familiar with in your role as CEO as PointsBet Canada. And, and again, can you just share with the audience just the, the, the path that you and PointsBet Canada have taken since the market launched? 
Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me here today. I'm uh, happy to offer my perspective. Um, I, I, honestly, it's been an amazing two years, right? So, uh, you know, PointsBet is, is a, an international operator, but it's reached in Australia. So when they decided to open their, uh, their business in Ontario two years ago, uh, I was amongst the first couple of employees on the ground, and we basically had the opportunity to build from scratch what we thought a world-class uh, operation here in this jurisdiction would look like. And, uh, and the journey's been pretty amazing. Like, so there was, uh, there was the, I'd call it the year of, of, you know, getting ourselves set up. And then as of April 4th, it's really been the year of your first year lapping a track on operations. And, uh, you know, with, I'm, uh, I was smiling a little bit to Rebecca's comments because certainly the, the process of getting uh, customers through the registration funnel and into uh, into your platform in a safe, compliant way has been an area where there's been, I think, continuous investment and focus over the first year um, because the standards uh, or the approach that we have to use in Ontario um, doesn't allow us to use some of the identifiers that are available in other jurisdictions like social security number and stuff like that. So. Uh, so it's really important to have good technology partners that can help us through that journey. And uh, uh, yeah, and, and for us, uh, GBG was one of the first out of the gate. Thanks, Scotty. Uh, and behind every successful business, there's, there's sound legal advice, or at least that's what Jack tells me. Um, Jack, maybe just throw it to you and just what with the role that you've played, uh, that you've played in this new marketplace here in Ontario. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Uh, I mean, I've been in the space since 2010 um, as a lawyer, focusing on iGaming. And, you know, what I've been thinking about a lot lately is what do you do in that space when there's no regulated environment? What does a gaming lawyer do without, without regulation? So before Ontario, uh, it was a lot of uh, helping in other jurisdictions, um, negotiating agreements between suppliers, uh, working in the in the quasi gaming space, uh, people phone me all the time with all kinds of ideas. Is this legal? Can I do this? And helping them with uh, the legality of those ideas, and and also just providing legal opinions and, and legal analyses. But all of a sudden, uh, there is a regulated environment, and there's a lot of regulatory and, and compliance work, both in terms of of getting, getting registered, uh, complying with the iGaming Ontario policies and procedures. And that's a big part of what we do now, uh, helping operators and suppliers register, helping them meet their requirements. And uh, even in the affiliate space, helping affiliates find their voice, because of course there's, there's no um, registration for, for affiliates. So that's, that's a lot of what I do, and, and that's how my practice has uh, has changed since Ontario is is regulating. Uh, Amanda, this new market in Ontario, it, it gave you an opportunity to to put on a put on a different hat with the the role that you have now with Tinder Group. Yes, so I was, uh, you know, the market opened up, and the one thing that the government realized was not just the taxes that they would generate, but all the ancillary economic development that would hopefully also arrive in Ontario. So, you know, Scott has a great story to tell about PointsBet and how they've, you know, set up shop. They've hired a lot of employees. So I also was approached by uh, Kindred Group and I joined them as their country manager for Canada about 18 months ago. 
and it's been it's been a fabulous journey. We also have a small office downtown Toronto. We have a few employees here, but it's really something to have worked for most of my professional career trying to, you know, get get markets open like this in in my home country, and then to be able to take advantage of of you know a job opportunity to come and then run that operation. And I think it's been such a wonderful experience because like points bet uh, kindred through its Unibet brand was in Ontario and we launched on day one, there were us and a handful of other operators. And I look back to what the challenges were when we were first coming out of the gates. And I think it'll be really nice to, to actually see Scott and, and the other operators at the summit next week, because I think now's the time where we can actually kind of pat each other on the back and feel pretty good about what we've been able to accomplish in that first year, because there was a pretty steep learning curve. You know, Scott was talking about how, you know, there are some identifiers we can't use in Ontario that we can, you know, just south of the border. Um, but we're also operating up here with a different set of advertising and marketing restrictions um, that we've had over us since since the day the market opened. And to see how successful the market has been, despite all those growing pains, is really a testament to the operators who are here, AGCO, IGO, you know, the industry association. So, yeah, uh, I'm I'm very pleased to have had this chance to come over and actually work now for for an operator who was able to launch on the first day. That that means a lot, and I commend all the other operators who came in on day one as well. Rebecca, just quickly, what's what's the learning curve been for DBG in terms of coming into this market? I mean, obviously, the company has dealt with uh, regulated markets in different jurisdictions, but was there much of a learning curve for a company that's based in the UK coming coming to Canada? I think, uh, good question. Um, I think personally, um, the learning curve has been sort of, you get a, a you get operators contacting us saying we're entering the market and we're working to their timescales as well. So um, because we were ready before it launched, that helped us to not have too many teething problems. Um, but in terms of learns, I think that as as a business, we've learned the Canadian specific data, so the um, credit file method and the dual source process method for those that are aware and onboarding without getting too technical we've learned the intricacies on the data um and you can almost look back and say did if we knew them on day one um how would that have helped but it's been a case of um as amanda just stated learning points and growing points um so i think that that's definitely been a learn for us um I don't think, though, in terms of challenges, um, it, we, we've necessarily uh, struggled because we, we had access. It's more now we look at, OK, what more can be done in the market in terms of responsible gaming? Um, what the coin is, is termed in the UK market as affordability or, or more recently known as financial markers of harm? Um, and what can be done to support the Ontario operators to know their customers better? Um, so that I think is a challenge um, that we're looking forward to, to helping operators with. Kind of along the same lines, Jack. Like, are you were you finding you kind of got questions too from perhaps operators who were operating in the in the former grey market in, in Canada, and also operators who were working as regulated businesses in other jurisdictions? Were, were you getting those kind of questions as well? Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, there, there's a lot of um, great opportunities that have been a result of the market opening here. And I'm sure the other panelists will talk about those opportunities. 
the most interesting to me has been the opportunity for operators to transition from the gray market. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing two global developments that are, that have been happening over the last few years. Uh, one is, I think as an industry, uh, we're finally having this uncomfortable discussion of, well, what is actually a gray market? What does gray market even really mean? And we're seeing operators actually get fined and sanctioned uh, jurisdictions like Norway, Finland, uh, that were previously considered safe or uh, let's say at least gray. And the entire industry is also going through a transformation where a lower percentage of net revenues are from gray markets. Part of that is just more markets are regulating. Uh, another part is just the effect of consolidation. I and mean, you have a higher percentage of gaming revenue coming from publicly traded companies, from large companies, and that's going to reduce the percentage of, of gray market revenues. And Ontario provided a consequence-free opportunity. It's a great opportunity for operators who were active in Ontario in the gray market to transition uh, to the regulated Ontario market. Um, some of those operators are still in the gray market in, in the rest of Canada, um, but it's, it's been a great out. Uh, it's been a great out for large, primarily European operators. Um, it's also provided an in for companies who weren't active in the, in the um, let's say, the Canadian gray market to like PointsBet to, to become active um, in, in the regulated Ontario market. Uh, and I mean, I have to say the most interesting um, thing to me is Pinnacle, who actually used Ontario uh, to effectively establish its first presence in the regulated market. So this has been just to me the most interesting uh, of all of the opportunities that's arose that, that's been arising from the Ontario regulated market. Uh, Scotty, Jack's uh, comment about opportunities, a, a great segue, and it, I'd like to start that discussion with you. And again, I think we've seen lately, and something that we've covered pretty extensively in the in the newsletter and, and on the uh, Gaming News Canada Show podcast as well, is kind of the, the controversy around sports betting advertising and, and um, the mainstream media tend to look at the negative impacts of the industry. But on the flip side, the industry, as Amanda mentioned, does have a great story to tell i mean in terms of economic development and and uh the, the opportunities that have come about uh, through uh for college students and university students and again points best a great example where you you have office space in downtown toronto and then have a have a fairly healthy staff working out of your office there right now and can you maybe just walk us through some of those opportunities that points back can have seen in the early days of this market yeah 100 so you know if i look at what we've so it all starts with the attractiveness of the regulation, uh, the regulated framework. And I think Amanda did a good job of, of pointing to aspects of that. But what's really driven the, you know, I think the, the desire for investment and the desire to set, set up a, a foothold in various different ways from maybe a more kind of physically present version, like the points bet story, to ones where maybe the toes being dipped a little bit more in the water. Um, has really been the fact that this is a market that's fundamentally attractive. Uh, the cap rates are, are reasonable. The, in its current form, the regulation uh, has uh, the right mix of commercial objectives, player safety objectives, uh, responsibility objectives. And so when we look at the Ontario market, it provides a great foundation. It's really one of the most attractive markets in the world, even though it's one of the most competitive markets in the world. 
But so for points back, we, you know, our history is offer, is one of being an operator inside of regulated markets. We don't have a great history. Um, and so, you know, those markets as they regulate, as they regulated across the U.S., uh, produced opportunities for, uh, for the company. And as Canada opened up, it produced opportunities for us here north of the border. Um, you know, our, our approach to, to the market uh, is a little bit different in that, in that we believe quite heavily in being local and being kind of on the ground and present with the, uh, with the communities that we're serving. Uh, we invest behind partnerships that help us be in the environments where, and be where sports fans are. Um, we, uh, and, we, and we hire locally. And so the, the comments that have been made around, uh, around our presence here in Canada, you know, we have a, a wonderful office space that we, uh, we have here on the corner of King and John. Uh, we have a staff that uh, is growing every month. Uh, PointsBet will, will take even a, uh, PointsBet Canada will take an even bigger role in the technology future of the company. Um, given just the, the incredible talent that exists in this marketplace and its ability to, to help not just the Ontario story, but the overall global story. So, you know, for us, this has been a, a, a jurisdiction that stood out a little bit differently than, uh, than some of the other places in which we've, uh, we've planted a flag. Right. Amanda, I think you agree with Scotty on that one. I do. I think when you look at how the regulations were developed, the AGCO did a lot of consulting in the early days. They were traveling overseas, down to New Jersey, just trying to see who had the best regulations. And it's really been uh, a priority for Tom Mungham, who's going to be retiring as the, the registrar in the fall, um, to have risk-based or outcomes-based standards. So instead of, you know, kind of wagging their finger at operators and saying, you must follow these 10 steps um, to be compliant. What they'll say is you need to be compliant. You figure out how to get there. I'm simplifying it a bit, but that has really been a hallmark of the AGCO's approach. And even with, you know, the potential adjustments they're going to make to the advertising and marketing standards, that was still a consultative process that they undertook. They sent out a discussion paper. They solicited feedback from operators and, my expectation is whoever steps into Tom's shoes will, will continue that way. So, you know, as Scott said, between the tax rate, the tax incentives, if you're trying to hire and set up a business here, the talent pool that's available, there are a lot of really attractive reasons to locate your business in Ontario. And I wholeheartedly agree with Scott that it's really important to have a presence here. We are a very unique market. We are not the UK. We are not New Jersey. Um, and I don't know how you'd be able to operate in Ontario without having people here who understand what the customer is like, what the culture of the province is like, how how diverse it is. And, you know, there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all approach that, that works in Ontario. Rebecca, to that, that point, has there been something that is unique in terms of opportunity for GBG being in, being in Ontario? Um, what do you mean by that, Steve? Do you mean, is it, has it been a unique opportunity to us? Sorry. I think so. Just because, uh, you know, obviously the UK market and your jurisdictions in Europe have been around for a long time. Uh, the US market's really only five, five years you know, old since the overturn of Passman in 2018. So uh, whether it's, you know, GBG maybe investing in, in staff in Ontario or, or you know, using different approaches because there is a, a new market. I guess I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I, I'm 
I guess it, it is different in the sense of I've previously spent a lot of time in Malta, Gibraltar, Isle of Man, the UK. Um, and when we look at the likes of America, we have a dedicated American team that, that look after that area. And as uh, Scotty will know, we have a dedicated um, team in Australia that look after sort of APAC. Uh, and my role sort of looks globally across things. So um, in terms of on Ontario and it coming about, I think um, while GBG don't have an office in Ontario today, it's certainly been an area where we've put a lot more focus into. So uh, coming to Toronto, going to Toronto, going to Ontario uh, and meeting customers uh, and really understanding their pain points and challenges. Um, but as well, uh, making sure that we understand, as Amanda's just alluded to, the intricacies of the players. So um, I actually pulled a few stats before this webinar, which I thought were quite interesting. Um, so um, I, we did analysis at GBG on, um, it was about half a million player records. So we looked at players coming on board with operators, but any patterns that we could see within their, their play. Um, and out of that, we found, and, and whether they're not, they are interesting stats. I mean, maybe I'm a, a bit of a data geek. Um, we found that the players were most active um, of joining new gaming sites between the hours of 2 and 6 p.m. Um, Canadian time, um, which is around 25% of operators' traffic was seen as that time. But more interestingly to me, um, the next highest traffic window was um, between 1am and 4am, um, which is around 20% of operators' traffic coming in the middle of the night, which is really interesting because um, does it say something about the types of players that are coming on board? Does it say something about um, the, the responsible gaming side of things um why are players coming on in the middle of the night um what's the attractiveness is it the demographic um because then when i looked at the age categories of where the players came from the majority of players joining gaming sites was uh, between the age category of 19 and 30 um, and that was about 33 percent of our sample um, we didn't do it for every player that's gone on board via gbg but we looked at sort of the time of the traffic the age the demographic um, and then we also looked at this um based on the stanley cup final which happens in June, uh, for those that don't know. And then you had a shift in the age group where it was majority 31 to 40-year-olds um, coming on board on that day. Um, and then we looked at the Super Bowl and we had different results. So um, th th there's a lot with it there, but I think it does link back to what Amanda said around uh, understanding your customer, um, but really knowing that the Canadian player and, and, and sort of the the players that are coming board on the operator's sites. Um, so that's a bit of a long-winded answer, but I thought it was quite important to share them stats. Yeah, but it was always important to have just a little bit of data on these webinars, Rebecca, so thanks thanks for that. Um, Jack, just from where you sit, just in terms of opportunities and the conversations you have, I know something that I've talked to Scotty and Amanda quite a bit about uh, since we started Gaming News Canada two years ago is about uh, you know, kind of this underground tech hub in Canada that, that now the gambling industry is tapping into, given the heightened, heightened awareness and the presence of the Ontario market. Do you find that some of your clients that they, they maybe didn't realize that there was that tech hub before or didn't realize the kind of talent that, that exists in this country? 
Well, I mean, we're definitely seeing investments in Ontario. Uh, we look at the you know the PointsBet office. Uh, look at other companies who are locating here and other companies who are already locating here. And, and I think it underscores what a great uh, opportunity, like the ancillary opportunities. It's not just about the gaming. It's about all of the other uh, industries that, that are related to being a, a gambling operator. Uh, but what I'd also like to, to add is that, uh, you know, when we talk about what makes this a, a uniquely Canadian market, uh, Scott, I mean, I love the way that PointsBet came out of the gate with the focus on curling and ads with the trailer park boys. I mean, those those got my attention right right away. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if other people are thinking, oh, well, what are these, you know, these other companies coming in here? Are they going to make a commitment to Canada? But you made a, a big obvious one uh, out of the gate and I, I loved it. Um, Amanda, I mean, your, your comment about sort of the risk-based standards, uh, so true. Uh, and I would add that the HECO has been incredibly responsive uh, and thoughtful when, when answering questions. I mean, the, the issue with risk-based is not an issue, but it's often left to the operators to understand how do we fill in the gaps. And, and when there are questions, uh, the AGCO regulator uh, has been great. Uh, Rebecca, we've seen how you can use demographic info uh, to identify what is unique about the, uh, about the Canadian customer. And then, of course, we have this setup where we have uh, two government entities. We have the privilege of not only working with one, but two government entities as we go through gaming, uh, let's say, regulation and operation. I mean, we have uh, the AGCO, uh, Alcohol and Gaming Commission Ontario, the, the regulator, uh, but then we also have iGaming Ontario, which is an entity that is actually invested in the success of the gaming market because their revenue was based on a percentage of, of the overall revenue. And I think it just cre has created a unique uh, regulatory situation. Thanks, Jack. Um, we're going to look at the regulation beyond on Ontario in a second here, but I did, I did want to ask the panel one more question about Ontario, and that's, you know, now that you're we're 14 months into this marketplace, just you know, what are the key principles of a well, a well operated, regulated market? And Amanda, I, I'd like to start with you. If that's okay. Well, it's it's. I don't have a super exciting answer, and it really does go back to you know basically the tax rate and and the cost of compliance to be in the market. And you know, as Scott has alluded to. Already, it, it's a pretty heavy lift to be compliant in Ontario, and it's it's not for an operator who doesn't have deep experience in other jurisdictions. I think this would be a really hard market to come into if you've never held a license before. The compliance is 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 heavy, and as it should be. But you're looking for your regulator to be a partner with you. You're looking for your regulator to provide, you know, as we've said in the past, as frictionless an experience as you can possibly have in the market. Um, you know, there was a lot of grumbling in the early days of the market about the inducement language that was not very fully explained. So operators really had to kind of learn by trial and error um, as they were getting their marketing and their affiliates moving into the market. Um, but I think for for me, it's really like a combination of, you know, a reasonable tax rate. Um, and a, a regulator that is is looking to make the experience as easy as possible. You don't want to make it hard for operators to come in and get a license. You don't want it to be hard for operators to, to be compliant in this market. What 
you also hope though, is that, you know, five years from now, you're not left with, you know, six or seven operators in the market. So we know we've had a few exit out in the early days, not unexpected. Um, but the hope is this, this market can sustain all different shapes and sizes of operators because you would like to see smaller ones, you know, that don't have much exposure, particularly south of the border, um, be able to succeed in Ontario. So I think that will be ultimately a hallmark of the success of Ontario, the province's approach to this, the AGCO and IGO's approach to this is that, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years from now, you've got a wide range of operators who are able to be successful in Ontario. Yeah. Scotty, your thoughts as a fellow operator? Yeah, I can agree more, to be honest. I mean, I think the way that the Ontario market has been set up and the way that the first year has played out uh, has held up, has held operators to the highest of standards. Like, I think the government has, has um, absolutely fulfilled on its commitment to the citizens of Ontario around that side. Um, uh, but it's also uh, provided a, a dialogue so that as operators, we could uh, we could kind of learn our way through the interpretation of the standards, make sure that um, that we got better uh, with you know five percent better every day type of thing. And uh, and for those of us that have now got fourteen months behind us, I think a lot of the early lessons have been learned. Um, that where where the complexity will exist is that the model, you know, by the government's own admission, the model is not complete. There's tinkering um, that'll continue to take place as. Uh, you know, as a regulator does its job to try to make sure that the market serves all of the constituencies, not just the people who are, you know, set up shop and, and offering uh, product here, but also the citizens of, citizens of Ontario and the various different stakeholders. And so, you know, you see that in, um, in some of the new uh, RG consultations, you see that in the form of the advertising standard consultations. And all of that is healthy, so long as we don't lose first principles. And the first principles in my mind are that we do want a market with a robust uh, portfolio of comp competitors, because it's that robust portfolio of competition that produces the knock-on economic impacts that uh, that as a as a jurisdiction we want so desperately. Right? If you end up with if you end up with a market that's largely consolidated down to half a dozen uh, competitors who serve most of their needs off of global infrastructure. You know, then the potential uh, of the Ontario experiment will be somewhat diminished, right? And the reality right now, uh, my my opinion is that the government has set up a Goldilocks scenario. It's okay to be a medium-sized operator and have big ambitions in this space. Um, it's absolutely a plausible pathway. And really, the big—I know you're going to go here, Steve—but the big challenge for Canada is how quickly can the rest of Canada find its way to a similar kind of construct? Uh, now, you know, every jurisdiction is going to make its own choices about what's right for its citizens. But the, you know, the reality is, you know, we do have what I'll call the mixed operators right now that are uh, compliant in Ontario because there has been a framework that's been placed in Ontario to allow people to be compliant, but are not uh, able to be, or not being afforded a pathway to compliance outside of you know removing themselves from the marketplace in other jurisdictions. And so they're they're kind of you know, they kind of have one foot in each camp. And as Amanda mentioned, you know, the, the federal code allows for every province to make its choice and to go after opening up uh, their jurisdiction to uh, to a more uh, competitive model. Um, it's it's time that that conversation, in my opinion, 
accelerates a little bit based on the lessons learned in this first year. Um, and that the model, as it rolls across this country, uh, can get refined appropriately on the, on, uh, and ultimately I have this, this aspiration that at some point in the future, this will be a coast to coast market, not, uh, you know, not just a, 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 a narrowly defined geographic footprint. Yeah. Jack, any additional thoughts on what's been put in place here in Ontario? Yeah, I mean, again, I think what Ontario has done well is to have clear regulatory goals. Uh, so there was a decision made in the beginning to have an inclusive regulatory environment to not penalize, uh, let's say, gray market operators provided that they came on board uh, before a certain date. And I think you've seen that pay off. There was a, a recent survey where 85% uh, of Ontario players who have played in the past three months have been playing at regulated sites. I mean, that is a, a big victory. Uh, another clear regulatory goal was to have risk-based standards. And not only have we, you know, do we have that, but we also have that paired with a responsive and thoughtful regulator. Um, but I, I think the thing that I was most impressed with uh, that the AGCO did this year uh, was the way that they um, made a commitment to player protection and went out on their own when it came to uh, an ultimate fighting championship betting situation. Um, I, I think the details are outside the scope of this, uh, this chat, but uh, they made a big step and uh, took a big risk by uh, prohibiting operators from offering UFC betting. And when you do that, there's always a concern that players will say, well, okay, I want to bet on UFC. I can't do it here. I'm going to go to the gray market or whatever you want to call it and, and bet there. And to its credit, uh, the HECO was the only organization uh, and the leading organization to, to take this step. And then the HECO actually worked with UFC. Uh, it worked with U.S. Integrity to develop and establish standards that addressed the HECO's concerns. And about six weeks after prohibiting UFC betting, uh, the AGCO reinstated betting on UFC, and this was this was a bold step, and it really impressed me and, and demonstrated a, a true commitment to to player protection and to betting integrity. Right. Rebecca, I'm going to get the last word to you on this topic, and and again, just uh, from what GBG has seen in terms of compliance. I mean, as, as do you like what you've seen with the Ontario model? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, I sort of referenced before, it was quite easy for us to read through the the, the guidance and, and interpret it in terms of data. Putting it into place for an operator in practical terms, I realise, is, is very different. I think I think from a personal perspective, um, I feel like IGO and AGCO took a real practical approach to the regulation. Um I do think that the standards are sensible. Um, Amanda said they are hard to, to comply with and, and, and having not been an operator before would be a challenge. Um, but you couple that with the comments that we've had on the, the sort of reasonable tax rate for operators and the fact that there, there isn't a limit to the number of um, operators that can obtain a license or enter the market. I think... Um, Ontario has done a great job and I think that they've really set the standards moving forward um, and, and it's definitely going to be something that uh, other uh, provinces are, are, are going to look to model from I believe. 
Let's uh, let's move over to the bigger question and, and really the essence of this webinar, and that's that's what happens across the rest of the country moving forward. And I mean, I'm going to start with you, and and we, you know, if you take uh, the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation people at their at their word, um, they're they're the lottery corporation can coexist quite nicely with uh, with at the marketplace. We we heard they trade more at the uh, gaming association one year anniversary conference back uh, back on april 4th talk about uh the the existence of a of a competitive market kind of basically forced olg to to uh, to step up and and improve their their business and andrew darley uh, reiterated that comment at the sbc summit in secaucus uh, a few a few weeks ago so um certainly as far as it, with regards to ontario the proof's been in the pudding that that a lottery corporate corporation can exist in a competitive environment yeah i think there's a, a couple of just you know off the top of my head a couple of quick points i mean the first is there's not a single lottery corporation in canada that is not competing with offshore operators because canada is a, a gray market the only exception right now is ontario with full regulatory standards so any operators without a license we're now a black market for them because we've got full regulatory standards but every other lottery corporation bclc lado quebec alc all of them are competing with gray market operators so the fact that they're still you know running their businesses generating net profit to the province um, with the offshore operators who are accessing their provinces means that there's probably not a lot that would change, just like OLG found. The hope had always been that the other provinces would give Ontario a year, realize the sky had not fallen. Um, we did not cannibalize the land-based casinos business. That was another concern. Um, you know, OLG was able to step up and compete quite handily with the rest of the operators, and there was there was enough to go around for everyone. Um, the other thing to keep in mind as well, and you know, I can only speak from from a kindred perspective, but there there are only three other provinces we'd be interested in um, in terms of joining a regulated a regulated model. Um, that would be BC, Alberta, and Quebec. Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and the Atlantic provinces are really small, um, so those are not likely ones that we'd be interested in. But certainly, the other three provinces have enough of a population base. To support having an open market and and multiple other multiple operators coming in the last thing i'll say is i would urge any other province that is considering to follow in ontario's footsteps i mean the model is there you know no need to reinvent the wheel but also i would not for a minute presume that what works in ontario is going to work anywhere else but I can't see a single province being successful if they restrict the number of operators coming in or try to force a tethered model. That would have worked if we hadn't had such a long history of gray market activity. But because we do, I don't see how you can force operators out unless you open it up to as many of them who want to apply for a license. So those are just some very quick thoughts from my head. Yeah. Scotty? Look, I, I completely agree. I mean, the, the piece that has been, in some ways, the secret sauce of, uh, of the Ontario competitive framework has been the fact that there's been a pathway to uh, regulated operations for gray market operators. So, you know, whether you're, um, you know, Lotto Quebec or, uh, you know, you're uh, Lotto BC, the reality is you're only taking a, a, a a piece of the marketplace in terms of how you're serving the citizens of the province, and uh, and the vast majority of that market, you know, 
65, 75, 85 percent of the market is uh, is currently being served by operators who are taking the proceeds of serving Canadians offshore and is producing no real benefit for the citizens of this country. Um, so, so my my view is very much aligned with with Amanda's mm -hmm. and I. The faster that uh, that we get to a framework that makes sense for all Canadians, the more of the uh, activity that we can bring into the light, uh, the better we'll be able to uh, kind of observe and enforce player protection standards, the better we'll be able to observe and enforce uh, anti-money laundering standards, the better we'll be able to observe and enforce uh, advertising and compliance uh, standards in that regard. So, yeah, I, I kind of see it as a... It's kind of a win-win opportunity, um, and even in uh, you know, I know that there's an economic reality to some of the way in which our population distributes across this country. I think the opportunity for some of the smaller provinces is not to be too uh, too distinct and unique in terms of their framework. The reality is the Ontario model, uh, you know, I think has done a good job of establishing uh, the vast majority of what's required to be able to. Uh, operate a framework under the conduct and manage uh, regime. And, uh, you know, and while there is always local nuance, uh, I would encourage, you know, the other provinces to think about it as nuance and not uh, necessarily thinking that they have to start with a blank sheet of paper. In many ways, that's not going to prove to be a, a reasonable economic reality um, for them. Uh, and, you know, the cost of establishing the regulatory um, can compliance teams are, it will just be too prohibitive. Uh, so yeah, so I say that as much as possible, learn from the lessons that have been carved, and let's move towards uh, you know a, uni a more unified view, coast to coast, of how we of how we ensure that this is an industry that can continue to grow and expand, uh, and uh, you know legitimize over the the coming decade. Rebecca, how much time are you and your colleagues spending on kind of, you know, imagining business for GBG beyond Ontario? Um, I think it's certainly something of interest and um, especially when Ontario has been such a success um, and it's going to be, we believe, a model that others follow. Um, and I think... It's hard for me to speculate personally about what other provinces may or, or may not do um, or may not be thinking. However, I, I guess hearing everybody speak on the webinar today around things such as um, the the gaming revenues, the tax that it's brought um, to to Ontario, they're just numbers that you, you feel as though that can't be ignored. I think moving forward, what's going to be important is ensuring that there is collaboration between all the parties so um what i've personally seen and benefited from is open dialogue with the regulator they're very happy to talk to us as a supplier um and they've been quite forthcoming and i think that having that collaboration between uh regulators operators and suppliers is is a good point um as a supplier we like to work closely with our customers understand their pain points challenges and how we can face and overcome that. Um, personally, I have a passion for responsible gaming. So I'd like to see um, what else can be done for responsible gaming, not only in Ontario, but other jurisdictions moving forward. Um, but having said all that, I think if, if 
the other markets foster the competition just as I go did and, and don't limit it as Amanda said um, and also understanding the culture local culture sorry and uh, what the local regulations will be um, and keeping that open dialogue I think it's certainly a model for success. Jack, are you getting questions from your clients about about uh, other provinces, and and if so, what 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 are the kinds of questions that you're getting? Well, yeah, Steve. I mean, everybody wants to know which jurisdictions will be next. Uh, it's it's an extremely popular question. Uh, you know, looking at why Ontario was was the first jurisdiction to regulate um, a, a few. A few things that, that jump out to me is, you know, first of all, you have uh, a government that is extremely friendly to privatization and business interests. So looking at other governments who uh, have the same or similar view with respect to those aspects. Uh, another factor, I think the Play OLG website is great. I think they've made some incredible progress during the last few years, and it's clear uh, that they are competing with international brands now. But the site launched in 2013, and for many years, it just wasn't a competitive product with the gray market. Uh, didn't even offer online sports betting, parlay, or otherwise until uh, I think it was early 2022. So you know, the, the online existing online website wasn't that strong. You can compare that to other jurisdictions like, for example, BCLC that has an incredibly strong online product, and those are... Um, distinct differences between those two jurisdictions. So, you know, whenever you're talking about making changes to gambling activities, even if you're not actually expanding it, there is a difficulty of selling gambling related activities, but the, you know, the success of Ontario will help. If you have a government that's friendly to privatization, uh, that mm -hmm. will help. Um, but I wonder, you know, is, is this the future? Is it, is it um, just a given that all provinces will go towards this registration model or is there another option? For example, uh, Ontario has made it clear that it's not concerned with the activities of operators in other Canadian jurisdictions. What would happen if, you know, if the provinces came out and said, hey, this isn't acceptable to operators who are uh, registered in Ontario and let's say forced the the AGCO's hand uh, is that a way they could protect their existing monopoly do they even care to do that uh, so these are questions that I'm looking forward to being answered over the next few years I have one, one final question as we wrap up the webinar um, and uh, Scotty I'll start with you and and uh, is it at all possible to make an educated guess in terms of a timeline i mean do when do you see another jurisdiction another province uh expanding its marketplace uh in canada look i i do believe that this is uh that this is uh, a country that will ultimately embrace um a regulated market in key jurisdictions so that's my operating assumption um, there's been uh, hours and hours and hours of debate as to which jurisdiction and when. Um, I'm encouraged. Uh, I'm encouraged through the you know informal um, conversations that are that that happen in this industry around where you see 
other provinces legitimately investing in understanding the Ontario model, taking the time uh, with the Ontario regulator, uh, exploring the lessons learned. And I take that as a good sign. I take it as in the same way that, you know, in Amanda's opening comments, you know, the Ontario government spent a lot of time with Denmark to determine what was right for Ontario. I see, I see other provinces making that investment. And for me, that's the first step. Uh, it gives me some confidence that, uh, that this, this country will ultimately uh, become a more regulated coast-to-coast environment. Amanda. I will say in the history of monopolies, uh, there's probably not ever been a single one that has willingly given up its stranglehold. And so why would we expect our provincial lottery corporations in the other provinces to be any different? It will really take a finance minister or an attorney general to direct um, their regulator to develop uh, a set of standards. Um, And then, you know, everything else will kind of roll out after that. So I think, you know, without me having, I don't have any inside knowledge in terms of the relationships between other lottery corporations and their respective ministries in the provinces. Uh, You know, I don't know how much attention any finance minister or attorney general is giving their local lottery corporation. Um, So I think, you know, a lot of times these changes can happen when there's a change in the political party that is running the province. It's certainly what took for Ontario to launch its model, but Ontario now has an example and it has proof. And I think if there is an attorney general who is, who is looking for an additional revenue stream or is concerned about offshore operators and lack of player protection, then Ontario has a really strong and compelling argument to make. And like Scott, I I think it's a matter of when and not if it's just, I think for, some of the other provinces that might have their lottery corporations dug in a little deeper, uh, it just might take a bit, a bit more time. Hopefully, before I retire. And just to to build on that is, it's worth noting that in most provinces, the regulator is is also the competitor, right? And so Amanda's point, and part of what made it work in Ontario is that the AGCO um, took on the the kind of accountability for regulating this this industry. I think that is part of why Ontario accelerated uh, towards this model. Um, that's not necessarily the case coast to coast. So it's just worth noting that nuance um, and uh, you know, the challenges that that produces when you're thinking about uh, opening up you know, what's your kind of commercial business to more competition and believing that that's a good thing. Sure, thanks guys. Jack? I think that uh, everyone's made a lot of great points. I'm curious as to when Amanda is planning on retiring. Uh, probably not for a long time. So that tells us what we need to know. And we'll give the uh, last word to Rebecca. Um, I think um, asking me is a bit of a finger in the air job. Um, we don't, if Amanda doesn't have any inside knowledge, I certainly don't because I'd probably go to her for it. Um, so when it's going to happen, I don't know. But as Scotty said, I don't think it's an if, I think it's a when. Um, from from everything that I hear, read and, and look at online and, and listen to experts from, I think it, it is a case of when. And it'll be interesting to see um 
the different nuances that are put in place because I realised that local laws differ from province to province and um, how that that's all amalgamated and, and put in and what changes do come forward. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to know if they are digging deeper with AGCO and I go and asking more questions the other provinces. But when, I, I, I wouldn't know. I certainly wouldn't want to put a bet on it or gamble. <laughs> Oh, me, me either. Let's uh, let's leave it there. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Rebecca Jackson, Director of Gaming at GBG. Really appreciate Rebecca, you and Rebecca Angus and the people at GBG for sponsoring this webinar today and for being such a, a great supporter of the Gaming News Canada newsletter. Uh, thank you to the rest of our panel, Amanda Burr, the Canadian Country Manager for Kindred Group, uh, Scott Vanderwell, the CEO of Points Back Canada, and Jack Tabman of GME Law. Just a lot of great insight and information, folks, uh, and really appreciate you spending your time with us. And uh, look forward to seeing everybody at the Canadian Gaming Summit. Yeah, we'll see you next Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.